I want to introduce my wife. I want, uh, she's going to sing for us. And I think I need to redeem myself. Uh, Sunday before last, I told you that the uh, Mother's Day gift I gave her was a set of golf clubs for me since mine had been stolen. It just moved her to tears. She was so thrilled with that to make me so happy. But I want you to know that what she's wearing today is the real Mother's Day gift that I gave her. <laughs> On Father's Day, I'm going to give Buckner a piano. What do you think? <laughs> it's wonderful to be with all of you this morning. I have, um, uh, during the last few weeks, spoken with a lot of people about a lot of things, and I have not met one person who's not, quote, going through something. How many of you are going through something? <laughs> if you're not raising your hand, it's dishonesty you're going through. <laughs> I do not know. We've had a little going through at the pastor's house, too. But I want to um, uh, share with you something that helps me. You know. 365 times the word fear not is in the Bible. Now, I don't think that's just happenstance. I think there's one for today. There's one for tomorrow. 365 times fear not. Have you ever waked up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you just cannot go to sleep back? Nobody's done that. Oh, good. Good. Okay, honest choir. Bugner and I often said that uh, we could have a three o'clock uh, coffee deal in the kitchen of the church and it would be as full as the auditorium. <laughs> but I would like, you know, we all have things we have to go through, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, whether they're whatever. Nobody escapes. And yet we have to deal with it. Uh, how many times have you been told just don't worry and avoid stress. Sure. <laughs> I'd like to know how you do that. Have any of you avoided stress lately? I would like to sing a song that has helped me. Um, there are a couple of them in here that really help me a lot, particularly if I'm really concerned and worried about something and, and anxious. Buckner's grandmother used to say, I never worry, Buckner. And Buckner said, well, none of that's wonderful. She said, of course, I'm anxious a lot. <laughs> Better word. Uh, I would like to share with you a song, and with the help of a lot of wonderful composers, I'm going to put them together. And I hope that it speaks to you this morning, if you're, quote, going through something. At least the word through is there. You plan on getting through it. So I just am thinking about you and all of us as we're in this big boat in a very troubled world. When upon life's billows your tempest tossed when you are discouraged, you think all is lost. 
many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep and I fall asleep counting my blessings when my bankroll is getting small I try to think when I had none at all and I fall asleep counting my blessings I think about the Lord and all the wondrous things he's done and then I count my blessings and I name them one by one. So if you're worried and you can't sleep, count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall to know you are never forgotten the Savior has promised he'll answer your prayers his grace is sufficient no matter what happens, I'm sure that he loves you. and cares for his own. Jesus remembers and cares for his own.
Thank you, Martha. <clears throat> beautiful, beautiful song. And such appropriate words. Never forgotten. You are never, ever forgotten by God. There is no way that you can keep God from loving you and caring for you. You can resist it, you can reject it, but you can't stop it. He will go on endlessly caring for you, loving you. You may endeavor to forget him. He will never forget you. Listen to this marvelous scripture the 49th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That literally says, I have tattooed you on the palms of my hand. Every time God looks at his hand, he sees your name. It can't be washed off. It cannot be eradicated. It cannot be erased. Nor can you be eradicated or erased or forgotten by a loving God. But you say, Buck, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. That may be true of folks that go to church and read the Bible and pray and serve the Lord, but it doesn't work for me. That doesn't apply to me. I've not lived as I should have lived. I've not done things I should have done. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And I have so many problems. Some of them of my own making, many of them not, but I'm just overwhelmed. I'm assaulted by all of these problems. God has an answer for you, also from the book of Isaiah and the 43rd verse. 43rd chapter, excuse me, first verse. But now, this is what the Lord says, not Buckner, not Billy Graham, not the Pope, not Robert Schuller. God says it. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you and have summoned you by name. You're there on his palm, there on his hand. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, 
They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he continues. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Forget the former things. Paul said the same thing, didn't he? Forget those things which are past. Reaching out to those things which are before, let's press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing, and God wants to do a new and fresh thing in every one of our hearts and lives right here today. God is present with His promise, His power, and His Spirit to do a new thing in every life. Every one of us can walk out of here today with a new ebullience of spirit, a new energy for doing that which is God's will in our lives. Forgetting the things that are past, forgetting the former things, not dwelling on the things that are past, but start looking for the new things that God is doing and will be doing in your lives. Sure, you may pass through some waters, but they're not gonna overwhelm you. I will be with you, he says. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And He will do a new thing in every one of our lives, every one of us, beginning with me and everyone here. God will do a new thing in our lives if we are willing to listen to His new call, His new call, to turn and move in some new directions. Get our eyes off the past. Quit dwelling on things of yesterday. Forget them. Move on. Paul had that experience. It's beautiful. It's biographical as well for all of us. Turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, one of the fulcrum chapters of the Bible, one of the turning points of the Bible, a very crucial passage of Scripture. Paul had been preaching all through Asia Minor, what we would today look at and call Turkey. He'd been preaching through all of that part of the country, been establishing churches, and he wanted to go back to some of those churches that he had established. He also wanted to go to some new territory where he'd never been before. He was looking back. He was looking back to where he had been. He was looking back on the former things that he had already done. And there he was at Troas on the western coast of Asia Minor, western coast of Turkey. 
And I read beginning in the sixth verse. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the, regi the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't that interesting? God was saying, look, that door's closed to you, Paul. God closed one door. But when he closes one door, he always opens another. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. He wanted to go here, God said no. He tried to go there, the door shut. He was trying to go back, like a lot of us. Go back to the former things. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. <coughs> Excuse me, Troas is on the, it's a coastal city. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. In other words, Paul turned around and looked in a new direction. Where was Macedonia? It was west. Where was Macedonia? It was Europe, not Asia. Where was Macedonia? It was 180 degrees from where Paul had been looking come to Macedonia. We need to do the same thing. We need to turn away from the former things. We do not need to dwell on the past. Those doors are closed. God says you need, don't need to go back there. I've got some new thing for you. See, I'm doing a new thing. He's got a new thing for every one of us. Constantly opening up new vistas of opportunity and service. I'm doing a new thing. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, and put a circle around that word, two little letters that speak volumes. We got ready at once to go for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. Put a circle around that. Two more little words that speak equal volumes. We got ready. We got ready at once to go for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Someone has said the doors of history turn on very small hinges. The doors to a new beginning in your life and mine turn on some very small hinges. I want to speak about two little hinges in your life and mine that if we will allow God to turn the door on today, we'll move into a new life. New world, new hope, new future, new vision, new spirit, forgetting the former things, letting the old things pass away, remembering them no more. For God is doing a new thing. Let the door open. Let the Holy Spirit, all those hinges, so that door will open. First of all, we have to have a willingness, be willing to listen to a new call, a fresh call. Here God was calling Paul to come to Europe. Come to Europe. Thank God he came to Europe. Do you realize what happened to the churches he had established in Asia Minor? They got all caught up in theological controversy and debate, and most of them died. Paul moved westward. He moved toward America. He moved toward Europe. And that's how the gospel eventually came to us. This trip that Paul took is the most crucial journey in history so far as American Christianity is concerned. If Paul had not taken this journey, 
we in all likelihood would not be here right now. That little journey from Troas over to Philippi brought the gospel westward. It changed history. For it was out of Europe that the gospel exploded. The Reformation occurred. And out of that and all of the fallout from the explosion of the Reformation created a whole new concept of living, a whole new concept of life. And America was born out of the seeds of the spirit of the gospel of Christ. It was in that little boat going from Troas to Philippi. Crucial moment. Willingness to go west. Willingness to come to us. Now let me ask you a question. Are you frustrated today? Feeling kind of useless or spending most of your time looking back, thinking, well, the good old days are yesterday and they are gone. And I can't change. I can't make any difference anymore. I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I'm 80 years old. I'm 90 years old. My days are over. I'm just going to look back and remember the memories of yesterday. Well, that's okay to look back and remember the memories of yesterday if you will allow them to be fuel for the transformations of tomorrow by letting new doors open and move out there into those new doors, into those new areas that that door opens us to. Let me give you a few examples of a man named Harlan Sanders who worked all of his life. At 65, he retired and he got his social security check and he spent half of that social security check uh, to develop and promote his recipe. He was kind of an amateur cook. Eight years later, he sold that recipe and his logo for $4 million. We know Harlan Sanders as Colonel Sanders. Whole new life opened for him at 65 when he saw a new door, when he was willing to move in a new direction. Professor Benjamin Drugger at 73 developed oreomycin, the drug that has saved thousands and thousands of lives. Cervantes wrote his greatest piece of literature, Don Quixote, at 68. Galileo did his greatest work at, in his 70s, Tennyson was still writing poetry in his 80s. George Burns won the Academy Award at 80 years of age. Golda Meir became Prime Minister of Israel at 71. Coco Chanel was president of a fashion company at 85. Richard Gatling invented the Gatling gun and the first motor-driven plow at 82. Norman Vincent Peale was active pastor of the Marble Collegiate Church in New York until 80, and he continued as pastor emeritus for another eight or 10 years. Benjamin Franklin at 70 went to Europe, went to France to try to get aid for the revolution. At 75, he helped negotiate the peace. At 81, he developed the flexible catheter and bifocals. And at 82, almost single-handedly, he saved the Constitution Convention.
Do you know how old Abraham was when God called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go out to a place where he didn't even know he was going? To pick up his family and move out to a land that God had promised him? He didn't know where it was and how he was going to get there. Do you know how old he was when he started that journey? When he started the greatest ministry of his life? Do you know how old he was? Seventy. Do you know how old Moses was when he began the greatest ministry of his life? Leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the desert up to the threshold of the promised land. Do you know how old he was when he began the greatest ministry of his life? Eighty. Satchel Page, that marvelous athlete, legend in American life, he didn't know how old he was. They didn't have a birth certificate where he was born, when he was born. Kept pitching, kept pitching. Remarkable man, great athlete. Someone asked him how old he was. He said, I don't know how old I am. He said, uh, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you was? <laughs> you choose your age. It's not a matter of years, it's a matter of attitude. You can get wrinkles on your face, you don't need to get wrinkles in your soul. Isn't it interesting that today people seem to be thinking more about the length of life, lengthening their life, than they are with filling their life with some meaning. I know people who are writing about, reading about, talking about, concerned about life after death. They don't have life before death. <laughs> God wants to give us life now. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins when we let Christ come into our lives and he gives us a new thing. He opens a new door. He gives us a new spirit. We forget the former things. We no longer dwell on the past. We look out and look for what God's going to do as a new thing in our lives. God's not through with any of us. So that's number one. Number two, we need to be willing to listen to God. We need to be willing to turn. We need to be willing to respond when the door opens on the hinges of faith to move in a new direction. But we also need to be willing to work with other people. We need to be work, willing to work with others. We can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. Now, I asked you a moment ago to circle and underline that little word we and us because this for those of you who are Bible students will know this. This is called the we passage of the scripture. You see, the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke. Up until this point, he was been, he was been describing events that were happening that were being told him by the apostles, by the early apostles and by Paul. He was being told what had happened. But notice that no longer is he describing what they were doing. Suddenly he says, we. This is the point at which Dr. Luke joined the team with Paul and his companions. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us 
Not just Paul, not just the preacher, not just the pastor, not just the evangelist. God had called us. Dr. Luke felt he was as called as Paul and was. God has called us, not him, not somebody else. God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And if you'll read the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, do you know how many times you will read the word we and us? 18 times. He's trying to make a point to us, to we Christians, we members of this church. We're going to do it. Not Buckner, not the staff, not just the deacons, not just the committees. We, every one of us, must put our hand to the wheel and put our shoulder to the burden. We are to preach the gospel. It's a corporate effort. Cooperative effort. A united effort. We. Now we never walk alone unless we choose to. We never walk alone unless we choose to. First thing we need to do is to recognize and realize that by faith we're going to walk with God. Without Him we can do nothing. That's what the Bible says. Without Him we can do nothing. But with Him all things are possible. With Him all things are possible. Without Him we do nothing. Let me quickly tell you the story some of you have heard. When I was preaching in Yugoslavia, I preached there five different times back during the days of the communist domination of Yugoslavia. Uh, sometimes uh, by myself, sometimes with John David Hopper, and sometimes with groups of people from our church. We were there on one of those trips, and we were up in uh, uh, a place called Baki Petrovac, which means in Serbo-Croatian, Peter's Garden. It was a beautiful community. It was on the Danube River, some of the most fertile land I've ever seen. And I preached in the church there at Baki Petrovac, and then uh, a number of us who were in the, in the group uh, went, to home, went to the home of this man who was a deacon in the church. And uh, incidentally, he asked me if I'd be willing to come as pastor. Uh, he said, we have some churches that need pastors. Would you be willing to come? And I said, well, I don't speak Serbo-Croatian. He said, well, we can teach you. <laughs> he said, we'll help you get a farm. I said, wonderful. Martha would love that. <laughs> I, we, uh, he, was, he was just, he wasn't serious, I hope. But uh, uh, anyway, this, this man, remarkable individual. I, I noticed, of course, as anyone would, when we went into his home and his wife was there, and, and she was not well, and his wife's mother was there, and she was elderly and very, very sick. Uh, but the man did not have a right arm. And through the course of the conversation around the table, he told us how he lost his arm. He was working one day out in the fields, and his arm got caught in a piece of farm machinery, and he could not extricate himself. And he screamed and hollered, but he was too far from the house for them to hear him. The afternoon went by, night came, and when he didn't come home, they knew something had happened. 
So they went out to look for him, and there he was with a mangled arm tangled in that piece of machinery. They took him, took him to the hospital, and then took him to Belgrade to the hospital where they had to amputate the arm. The man was so devastated, he said, so discouraged. He didn't have workman's compensation. They didn't have workman's compensation in communism. They didn't have any kind of insurance help. If you didn't do it on your own, you just didn't do it. Some friends came and helped his farm keep going, but he felt that his whole life was devastated. How am I going to support my wife and my son who wants to go to college and my mother-in-law who is desperately ill? And he talked about how in that hospital he was so depressed that he tried to kill himself. One night he got up and went down to the end of the corridor in the ward where he was staying and he tried to raise the window on the third or fourth floor of that ward and he was going to jump out but because he only had one arm he couldn't get the window up. And he went back to his bed and he started praying. He said, oh God, I can't do it. Just let me die, let me die. And he said, the Lord said to me, if you'll trust me, if you'll put your faith in me, I'll be your right arm. He got well, went back to the farm, one arm, left hand, and he sat there and told us that his farm was prospering more than it ever had before. He was getting more work done than it ever gotten done before. And he said, it is true. God became my right arm. Now, I don't know what your handicap may be, what you feel it might be. You may feel a lack of education. You may feel a lack of talent. You may feel a lack of income. Whatever it is that you feel is handicapping you, God will be your right arm. God will be with you. And he will help you make things better than they would ever be without him alone. First of all, we've got to work with and walk with God. I'm just not good enough. Somebody says, I just can't do it. I've got too many problems. Let me read it to you again. This is what the Lord says. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you, called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I will be your right arm. So forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. We must work with God and walk with God, and we must work and walk with one another. We must work and walk with one another. We cannot do it alone. You've heard me quote it. It's still one of my favorite poems, John Donne's No Man is an Island. But no man is an island entirely of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. 
If a cloud be washed away from the, by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, or a manner of thy friends. Every man's death diminishes me, for I am involved with mankind. You heard that? That's the best word in the poem. I am involved with mankind. Therefore, I will never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. It tolls for me. For we are involved with mankind. We are part of the body of Christ. We're not amputated individuals. We are integrated individuals into the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the family of God. We must and must work together. We must pray together. We are doing that. Thank God for the prayer ministry in this church. Heaven alone will reveal the powerful impact the prayer ministry of this church has had on the lives of thousands of people, many in this room, many around the world. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, to give us a model prayer, what did he teach us to say? What are the first two words of the Lord's, what we call the Lord's prayer or the model prayer? What are the first two words? Our Father, not my Father. Surely we're to pray individually. Surely he tells us in the scripture that each one of us is individually to come before him and to make our requests known unto him. But the model prayer he gave us was a prayer of togetherness. Our Father, not just my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, not just me, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, not just me, forgive us our trespasses. And lead us, not just me, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Eighteen times, we, us, in the ministry of the church. We, us, in prayer, we must do it together. And then a final word and a word from Jesus. He said to his disciples, as he moved toward the end of his earthly ministry, listen to it. Talking to his disciples, therefore talking to us, his followers in this day, he said, we must work the works of him who sent me for the night cometh when no man can work. We must do it. Jesus Christ is saying that his work will not be done unless we're a part of it. We must work the works of him, Jesus said. You must do it and I'll be with you, but I'll not do it for you and you'll not be able to do it without me. It's a cooperative effort. We 
must. It's a compelling effort. We're compelled to do it. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. Woe is me. We must. It's a compelling effort. We must work. It's an active effort. Let that door open to some new activity. Let that door open to some new futures for you. We must work. It's an active effort. We must work while it is day for the night coming when no man can work. It's a brief effort. Brief. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Okay. We're standing at Troas with Paul. And God says, turn around. Let the new door open. Let the hinges of faith open that door. And I'm going to lead you in a new way.